Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to the 9320 Cast Special Podcast about, well, you know what it's about. City are back in the Champions League next season after the Cast ruling that City did not disguise equity funding as sponsorship revenue, but did fail to cooperate with UEFA, and who can blame them, receiving a €10 billion Euro fine that Sheikh Mansour has since found down the back of a couch. Delighted to be joined by three big hitters, Asan, Lloyd, and the man I am already saying should have a statue next to, or perhaps instead of, David Silver, Stefan. Uh, good afternoon to you all. How are you doing? All good. All good. Yeah. Fun morning. Hey, Sam. All good in the hood. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gloating on Stefan's behalf. That's all I can say. <laughs> so, hey, Sam, so how's your morning been prior to 9.30am or 10.30am your time, I imagine? Uh, horrible. So yes. <laughs> uh, I had a I had a huge argument with Claire walking into the village to buy bread because I don't even know why I was just being difficult and cantankerous and kind of sulked all the way back from the village. Uh, then logged onto the computer at ten twenty five my time. Got a link to the cast website and then was pressing refresh and then I saw the the announcement except obviously when I clicked on the announcement it just wouldn't load because <sighs> half the country was trying to do exactly the same thing and then I kind of looked at my phone and there was like messages from you from Stefan and loads of tweets and I was like what do I do here do I do I wait for the cast page to load or do I just open my phone and and uh, look at the result and in the end I uh, I opened my phone and looked at the result and then yeah went running out into the garden nearly jumped in the pool did some shouting and screaming, and yeah, now I feel great. Yeah, I looked at the previous Cass ruling on 10th or whatever, just to get a, an angle of what they looked like, because it was 12 pages in. Couldn't even understand what it was about and what the ruling was. <laughs> so I thought, when cities come out, I'm not going to understand it anyway. But then it opened immediately, and in big letters at the top, it said bad lifted or something, and something about the fine, obviously, which was, yeah, I'm okay with that bit. So, uh, Lloyd, what about you? Has it been a nerve? Uh, it was akin to getting my GCSE results. This, I think, <laughs> just waiting to uh, to queue to get pick them up to see if uh, I'd messed up or not. So, what's your morning been like? Oh, mate, I was bricking it. I, I've been pretty much fine until literally last night, and then I think it just the the kind of awe of it just hanging over you so ridiculously. I woke up at half seven this morning. I just couldn't get back to sleep. Um, but yeah, I think f- for about a week now, it's just been thinking, oh, I just want 9.30 on Monday to come. Like, whether it's good or bad, you know, I think we just need that clarity. So, um, yeah, uh, amazing morning. And it's one of those mornings on Twitter that don't happen very often where there is a, so much piss being boiled and just, yeah, just scenes, uh, just to see some of the takes and obviously the um, the joy for most like City fans. Mm. Woke up at 5am, I think. <laughs> I thought, I'm not getting back to sleep now, so that was a long four and a half hours anyway. Uh, Stefan, I know none of us were at that hearing. <laughs> none of us know what the evidence was put forward, and there'll be obviously more to come out. Deep down, did you have a feeling whether this ban was going to be upheld or overturned, or was it just impossible to know really for anyone involved? Uh, no, well, well I, I stand by what I said about my confidence over the last couple of weeks and when we did that pod 
uh, I don't know, 10 days ago, was it? Yeah, um, good two weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah which was, the club knew the stakes. And I'm, I'm not, I'm still not 100% sure that I, I would advocate what they did. Yeah. In terms of going to the brink on something where there's such an, an asymmetry of outcome in relation to UEFA and City. And, you know, at the end of the day, our, our best case scenario is obviously fantastic feeling that we are, uh, this can be put to bed. But the reality is it's put us back to where we were on the 13th of February, largely. And the consequence of losing just would have been so incredibly uh, unclear as well as uh, destructive that I think it was very bold of them even to to go the whole way with Cats. Now, clearly, they felt confident, and that gave me confidence, um, you know, because they would have known all of what I just said. You know, they had a, a strong team around them. The, the, the people around the table knew what they were doing, mm. and there was no possibility that um, that they, if they had made that decision, it would have been because nobody had thought of the possibility of losing or that they had taken a, a kind of uh, a moral judgment that they just had to be exonerated or, you know, this sort of yeah. nonsense, which, which just would not have come into it. So I got my confidence from the fact that they were prepared to, to go the whole way. So they obviously were confident, but... Um, there, there was always risk. I mean, I was, I was probably down to not much more than fifty-fifty this morning. Hmm. Well, I've got a bumper. I mean, this is kind of a later question as well. I was going to ask all of all three of you. So, before we look at the ruling uh, this morning, Asan, I'll start with you. How do you feel about City taking it to the brink like this? Do you still has are the club exonerated for you, or do you still feel that they've put us fans through too much? Really, it's something that probably could have been dealt with a bit easier in the past or is it too early to say really until we know deep down because they obviously obviously and have been proven right uh, obviously thought they'd done nothing wrong whatsoever so why even take a slap on the wrist do you feel a lot more confident now in how they've handled this or no um, I don't I don't think that I kind of agree with Stefan in that the ramifications of losing were too big and the idea that we never got out in front of this still bothers me. It still bothers me that we, the, the reputational damage, the damp, the kind of undermining of Guardiola's best seasons and also maybe the best season in the history of Manchester City Football Club, for those things to be undermined by this because after football leaks, City was so intransigent that they didn't talk to UEFA and they basically pulled the shutters down and went, do what you want, we're not talking to you. Um, I think there has been uh, a negative effect from that. And I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm delighted that we won. Um, I feel the club will feel vindicated. I feel vindicated. Stefan should feel like a don for for the way in which he's helped us to decipher kind of what could be going on behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't have got this far for me. It should have been dealt with as soon as it happened. The the men in suits should have all been in a room around a table figuring out how to navigate a way through this. And actually, I think as we move forward into this podcast and we begin to discuss 
why City won. That's exactly why everybody should have been in a room because UEFA have got a lot of egg on their faces now. City have had the Guardiola seasons undermined and a lot of negative publicity and all of that shit could have been dealt with if they all got in a room and went, what do you think? This is what we think. Move on from it. Find a way to move on from it. There was too Maybe the only thing to defend City, I would say, is that maybe this was so politically motivated from UEFA's side that regardless of what City said in that room, UEFA were going to basically swing for the stands. Do you know what I mean? Basically, like It feels like UEFA wanted the home run of a ban, the adjudicatory chamber, the investigatory chamber, collectively, for all of those credible people to do what they did, find City guilty, give them such an enormous sanction, yeah, it's really wild for me when you look at what Cass have said. And it's kind of why, yeah, I'm going on a little bit, but for me, that's why this could have been dealt with a year ago. Lloyd, your thoughts? I'll put forward a theory then. Well, probably the reasoning is, if City had taken, say, if the option was there, and I've heard from people who, you know, I've heard a lot of rumours, we don't know what's true, what's not, but there was an offer there that City could have got a slap on the wrist and this could have gone away with just a financial yeah, punishment a good a long time ago. City obviously thinking, well, we've done nothing wrong here, it's all or nothing, I want exoneration. Is City's reputation looking at Twitter this morning any better than if the yeah, having now been essentially exonerated, people will look at that fine, but as we'll we discuss that, that's not to do with the financial side, that's just to do with mm-hmm. the corporation. Article fifty six, however. Is City by going down this route, by taking it to the brink and getting this ruling, are the club any better off reputation-wise? I think they probably should be, to be fair. I mean, I think ultimately we need, we do need to see the full judgment in terms of um, the full um, reasoning given by the arbitration panel, because I think that will obviously be enlightening. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, yes, because whilst it has it's completely put us through the ringer, and I think... I said on earlier pods of Stefan about this, I was also just from a commercial sense, purely just very uncomfortable with us going this far because there, there's always a risk that we're going to lose. And, you know, and I didn't really want to go completely two footed on earlier podcasts, but now we've got the benefit of hindsight and the horse has bolted. I mean, it would have been an absolute disaster for us mm. if we'd have lost, I think, to be honest. So, you know, but then the other, the other side of the coin is that, to be fair, there's going to be a lot of people at City this morning feeling very vindicated, very justified for for going this far. I mean, it's it's still a big risk, um, and I think the non-cooperation thing really, you know, that's been attached onto uh, by some journalists and commentators, which I'll use very loosely uh, as a term this morning. The non-cooperation ultimately is completely nothing from City's point of view because. Ultimately, it's, uh, this um, this award has shown that the process of UEFA's was probably flawed, um, and the, and so City not cooperating with that, if they believe it to be basically bent, is I mean, it's nothing really. Um, so yeah, I do think I do think people should probably look at the club this morning and think actually, you know what, fair enough on a few points. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's going to be the usual takes about oh, but it's they've got off on technicalities or whatever, but. You know, these people aren't grappling with the subject matter properly. Um, so let's just see. Let's wait for the 
for the full judgment at least anyway. Yeah, it's probably the end of the week and probably a fuller judgment comment from City before then, I imagine. But we'll see. Just, uh, no just no further comment from UEFA, we should know as well. Sorry, Stefan. Yeah. So just, just on this point, on in relation to, first of all, this idea about exoneration right? it doesn't, doesn't exist. So, you know, there was no re- realistic prospect of a verdict or uh, or a judgment when we when we see it completely that says exoneration and nor do i think it was ever realistic for city to be positioning themselves in that camp uh, and with terminology such as irrefutable because if you go back and look at yes the the, the matter has been unproven in terms of the allegations made by uefa but, but largely a lot of this is about limitation Technicality, some people would say, but not really, because these are important points. Um, it, it doesn't look like, and we'll have to wait for the judgment, but it doesn't look like it was as simple as we've got irrefutable evidence and this all will fall away. Uh, it looks like it was a, a closer call than that. Um, and I think that, that, that lends into questioning whether this was worth it and whether it will really change the views of those critics of the club on the outside. I mean, to be honest, you can already see that it, it isn't changing it. So Bernie Roney, Barney Roney, he, he's already not changing his style. He's just finding a new way to write his, you know, his his tweets and his and his angles on it. And he'll continue to do so. And I expect most of that crew will likewise find an angle that we don't like. Uh, that That is just life. Is it a good time just to talk very briefly on Article 56? Because I can explain why I think we did not succeed there. I'd always felt that it was sort of tagged on the end and that in itself would not lead to a ban. I am surprised at the scale of the fine, actually, because 10 million euros is is a very significant amount of money. Um, You know, maybe not in the way that people think about football, but actually it's a lot of money. And uh, especially when you put it into the context of what we know about the other fines around UEFA for really very meaningful things, racism, uh, you know, other types of abuse that get absolutely menial sentences and fines. And that's even in the scenario where the clubs involved have very substantial resources, which is kind of alluded to be one of the key reasons why they felt it appropriate to to slam on 10 million euros. I'll just look at it briefly though, because what it says in Article 56 and why UEFA would have won that easily on a legal point is it's incredibly widely drafted. So the licensee must cooperate with UEFA. It must provide the licensor UEFA effectively. And then it says all necessary information and or relevant documents to fully demonstrate that the monitoring requirements are fulfilled as well as any other document request, sorry, document requested and deemed relevant for club monitoring. By the deadline, it must confirm that all submitted documentation and information were complete and accurate. And it must also notify the licensor in writing of any subsequent events that constitutes a significant change to the information previously submitted. In other words, the drafting of it is so one-sided in favour of UEFA that it would be very hard to see, even on something as subjective as cooperation, how City could succeed in an argument that they fully cooperated. Because almost any document not being provided would have made City in breach. So 
just two sides to that to, to that article 56 um, fine okay well it's not a, an argument that City if City were not such a wealthy club it wouldn't have been 10 million euros but less is it not just a figure in a way made up because they can pay that easily enough yeah, but if there was racist abuse in a wealthy club, it wouldn't be 10 million euros, would it? It'd still be 30 or 3. Mm. You know, it's it's a nonsense. but And it's a, it's, it's a significant amount of money. Look, in the grand scheme of things, of course none of us care, right? Yeah, no. But but they probably ended up paying. I mean, if, if, if from what we hear is to be believed, City were offered a, a deal that would have been at a lower level probably than the 10 million euros in November to make this all go away. Yeah. So I, d- I think from a financial perspective, they're probably thinking thinking it is excessive. Obviously, they're not going to do anything about it, but it, 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 it's, it's a pretty substantial fine. Yeah, but the, it's what the, the fine is for, in a way. Not Failure to cooperate, they can take that hit. It's not a, a stable no, I, club, so to speak, I, whereas I being found guilty for the other stuff is very different altogether. De- definitely, definitely. Uh, and the exoneration side, yeah, I don't think the club are bothered about Barney Roney or Miguel Delaney but more they're standing within Europe perhaps and that's the reason why they took it to the brink but I'm just that's just idle speculation on my part uh, I'll bring the other two in a bit but Stefan can I stick with you because the crux of the replies and people failing to grasp what has happened this morning seems to come with the time bar thing so can I ask you this question from a man in the street perspective that's even some journalists caught up in this, that there is a, a you know, an opinion, a, a mode of thought, train of thought out there that City got away with offences, not because they were not guilty of them, but they ran out of time. So if if you understand, can you explain if the time barring was for stuff City had already been done for anyway, and the time bar is kind of irrelevant, or if City have got away with something here because of time barring does that make well, sense that question yeah I mean look, the, the simple answer is actually we don't know yet right? until we'll the full report's out yeah. we'll, have, we'll have to wait for the judgement but but you know from the very earliest stage the time limitation was always going to be an issue the, the what, what I thought that, that UEFA might successfully argue is that actually the breach itself only occurred on that final day of the settlement regime related to the settlement agreement of 2014. So let's say, I, I think it was the 16th of April when City were sort of formally with PSG, formers, formally signed off being in FFP settlement regime mm. and were therefore free to do whatever they wanted. And that happened, um, uh, you know, on the back of a long period of monitoring and careful submissions to UEFA. I thought what UEFA might be saying is, well, what we're saying is that the breach occurred the day before they were cleared because they, ha- they hadn't told us about X, Y, and Z, and therefore they were in breach, and therefore we've got five years from that breach until 22, and therefore we are in time and you can't stop us. In fact, what I think has happened is what I initially felt would would prevail, which is the breach is the breach, and when that breach occurs, i.e. 2012 to 2014, largely, um, or the email itself, it will be five years from that date. And if you don't take an action based on the breach occurring at that date or at the date of the, the funneling of money in, let's say, the 2013 account, 
If you don't do that by 2018, it's gone. And it, you might not like it, but CAS have no right, UEFA have no right, and CAS have no right to look at what, whatever happened. So they don't even need to actually consider it. Now, we'll have to wait and see exactly how they broke it down. Um, it may be also that City succeeded on the other part of the limitation uh, point, which was not the five-year point, but the fact that following um, uh, the ending of the review of 2017-2018, uh, UEFA had no right to go back and look at prior periods because it had gone, and their rules say that they have no, no jurisdiction. All of this was laid out in CAS 1 by City. So they had two or three elements of limitation and time barring that City were pushing. It was settlement, it was the, uh, it was the time since the breach, and it was this point on, on actually having a jurisdiction to look at any periods. I think it was beyond 2018. And it looks like that's what uh, CAS has supported. And therefore, by doing that, the reality is CAS doesn't have to consider the ins and outs of each individual breach. Now, just one final point is I think that they have looked into some of the substantive stuff in any event, because if they hadn't, it's hard to see how they would have been able to say that the, um, just, just trying to read it, that the charges with respect to dishonest concealment um, were not established. So, you could obviously only conclude that if you had actually considered that point. Hmm. So this is not Stefan. Can I? Sorry, can I just ask Stefan something on 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 that particular um, point? Um, sorry, just read it again. The phrasing of it. Well, it says uh, the the cast award emphasised that most of the alleged breaches reported by the AC were either not established or time barred. As okay, the charges, and then, the, and then it says, as the charges with respect to any dishonest concealment of equity funding. That's the first time we've seen that phrase. Yeah, but that really yeah. is at the nub of the allegations. And absolutely. Again, we've talked about this many times on pods and in articles and stuff. You, if you go around making accusations of dishonest concealment, you have to have extremely strong and clear evidence before a court or an arbitration will, uh, will, will will side with you because it's mm. obviously it's a very, very serious allegation about the dishonesty you, and integrity of an individual or club. I'm going to ask you to speculate on what the judgment is going to say, but do you think that with respect to that particular accusation, do you think that Cass's view will be it doesn't matter where Etihad or anybody else for that matter gets their money from. It only matters how the tax authorities, how you kind of how it's actually audited in the UK. Do you think that's the the, the angle that they'd come at something like that? Yeah, from? well I think there'll be some reference to the fact that the that, that City presented audited accounts and the and the contracts themselves that that, that appear to accord to, so, sorry, the, the, the contracts according to the account. Um, mm. and therefore, there was no basis on which CAS could conclude in UEFA's favour that the accounts were effectively false. Okay. I, I think that's the way they will look at it. So it's that way around. It's to say, 
you know, we, we, we're left with no, we're left with no option but to side with Manchester City on the substantive point because the only way in which you can side with UEFA on a point of such seriousness, dishonesty and concealment is if the evidence is absolutely crystal clear. And it's very hard against the backdrop of the actual contract and the accounts to side with UEFA. But we'll see. I mean, I don't know. That's pure speculation. You know, we're basing that on, you know, four words, dishonest concealment, yeah. five words, dishonest concealment of equity funding, you know, so. But I think that's, I think that's, that's a big thing because I think that, that, that I imagine they've used that phrase because somewhere in UEFA's FFP rules, yeah, it's phrased like that. The, the idea of equity funding hidden as something else. No, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so because really? I think, well, yeah, I mean, I have searched for those words previously in terms of concealment okay. and dishonesty. I think it's just, it's a given that you don't conceal and that you cooperate and that you show uh, a true and fair picture in respect of your submissions to UEFA. That is in there. Right, so okay. the idea that you have an obligation to be honest is is fundamental in terms of in terms of um, in, in terms of principle of CSFB and European licensing. I think and the, f- the, the, the 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 dishonest concealment is in essence where UEFA would have had to get to in their submissions before CAS and in their mm. in their judgment to City, they would have had to go the whole hog and put in writing that they were accusing City of dishonesty and concealment. And I've seen it done in one other case. I can't remember. I think it's um, one of the Greek clubs where, where they accused their, they accused them of having... Galatasaray, effect- No, it wasn't Galatasaray. It was, it was P- P-A-O-K, I think it was. Oh, Park. Where, yeah. yeah, where they accused them of, of having effectively false accounts. And that's a very big call. You know, you've got to make sure if you're going to make those allegations, you've got to be able to establish it. And... Cass effectively said, you know, you've got a burden to establish it and you failed. And in terms of the fact that that is separate from the phrase time barred, right? From the, that, pr- the preceding section, do, that implies to me that very specifically with the issue of uh, dishonest or hidden equity funding, that that simply wasn't proven rather than that fell under the time-barred thing where even if Mansour did do it, it's time-barred. Is that a yeah, fair assumption for me? I think so. It does, it does hint that, that they will say something more substantive about, effectively, that UEFA did not establish these allegations as opposed yeah. to saying, well, they're time-barred, so we didn't even look at it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that... The, at the, and this is where, you know, I mean, obviously at some point we'll talk a little bit about the media, but I think that this is where uh, it's frustrating that there's not even a base level of analysis for the moment going on because I read that statement. And for me, the salient, one of the big salient points was the fact that on the one hand, you've got the time barred thing, right? Or not proven. And then separate to that, you're saying specifically on the idea of dishonest equity funding, it simply wasn't proven. Well, well, um, it doesn't actually, you know, so in fairness to, uh, first of all, I would not, given what we know about the, uh, the the overall understanding of this topic, I'm not at all surprised that nobody's had a go at it, right? I, there's not enough to have a go at. 
but in, and in fairness to them, it, it's not brilliantly worded because what it says is the CAS award emphasised that most of the alleged breaches, most of, i.e. not all, yeah. were either not established or time barred. So that does beg the question, what alleged breaches were established? And then I think what they mean by that is that the that the the breaches that were established were the cooperation charges because they then go on to say, although don't explicitly say it, that the charges with respect to dishonest concealment of equity funding were more were clearly more significant violations um, than obstructing the, the the investigations. So they're saying, yeah. you know, that they did effectively say that they were that the obstruction was established, but that it wasn't appropriate to to impose a ban, and in doing mm. so, are saying. But don't are, are saying implicitly that the concealment of equity funding was not established, but they don't say that, and so I, I think it's fair that at this stage, most people are not really getting into the fine detail of what this what this award actually says. Mm, I guess for me, it just it's the, it's the idea that at the root of what bothers opposition supporters, yeah, is the idea that. That that very idea, the basic idea of equity funding hidden or dressed up as something else, and from day dot, my issue with the way that this is has been reported is that fundamentally we went through. I mean, I'm repeating myself, I'm repeating you, but at the end of the day, all of those related party sponsorship deals were put through an independent filter and then adjusted based on the fact that they were related party deals so it's just it's like you said it i think you said it in a tweet this morning that you know it really does feel like they've tried to have just a second bite uefa have tried to have a second bite at something that they'd already taken a pound of flesh for in 2014 and because of football leagues in the end they wanted to take another pound of flesh but they were just basing it on effectively the same thing that they dealt with city for mm-hmm. in 2014 yeah, that was my key initial point, which I probably worded badly, is how City would be judged, is whether City got off on a technicality or City got off because the time bar included stuff we'd already been done for anyway and been dealt with. And mm. that will, I think, affect how people view this, if we, Look, if we best, care. The best thing about remember. it, in, in a way, on. the best thing about it, in a way, from our perspective, that obviously, you know, we do need to see the judgment, but it does make it quite funny, is that it's UEFA's own regulations here in terms of you know what's what's um what's ended up with them with basically the award going our way and not and not against um UEFA in terms of the in terms of the time bar and stuff so i i'm very much looking forward to seeing the actual judgment yeah. but yeah it's just funny that it's actually their regulations and obviously their lawyers and everyone have sat down and, and my kind of theory of the that. weekend was essentially UEFA knew they were on shaky ground but by letting it take this route they've covered their back having been lobbied by other big clubs in Europe, which I have no evidence for, but would make sense to me that they really shouldn't have found a guilty verdict so easily in the first place. But rather than this being damning for them, it's kind of, you know, they can wash their hands of it and let Cass deal with it. So I think it is quite damning for UEFA because I think that what the point literally that you've just made and Lloyd has just made um, is beginning to be picked up on by people like Rafa Honigstein, who's basically saying on some level that it, it, 
how do UEFA not know their own regulations and how did they not how did they not know 12 months ago when they decided to impose a two-year ban and begin this process that there was a strong chance that it would get through that city would fight it and it would get tossed out based on their own kind of time barred regulations and also on top of that unless i'm mistaken stefan you can correct me if i'm wrong but the psg ruling although it was on a different matter fundamentally was thrown out for the same time barred issue am i right not, not the same so, not 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 the same but but on a but on a timing issue did right, different okay, scenario so- i mean that in very simple terms they they made a recommendation to the ac the ac had 10 days to uh, do something either reject it or approve it or if they didn't do anything, then then it was binding, and they didn't do anything for for weeks, so they missed their window, and therefore, although they tried to reopen it, they couldn't reopen it, and so it was it was a screw up, maybe deliberate, maybe not, who who knows? But yeah, you know, they failed on a on a technicality in that one. Certainly, that that is a technicality in terms of UEFA. One thing I would say is, let's not be under any uh, illusion. UEFA will have a piece of paper or will have knowledge internally that there was a strong chance that they would fail in respect of both establishing their principal substantive case on concealment and dishonest concealment. And they also will know that they will have had a big challenge on the limitation points. Now, those two things are not to say that they knew definitively that they would lose. What it means is that they knew that they they had some substantial risk of it being overturned. It's quite possible that as a regulator that really doesn't have the same risk that we had in the scenario, that the regulator says, well, we know we might lose, but actually for all of the other benefits, i.e. we can be seen to be taking action, we can attack the club that we think has done something wrong, uh, we might lose, but it's not going to cost us that much even if we do. Maybe we'll we'll succeed in any event on the cooperation charge. So net net, we'll still take ten million euros. You know, yeah, we'll probably lose on the more important stuff. But actually, what's our absolute downside? It's not impossible that they take a decision and say, well, you know what, let's just go for it. If we lose, mm-hmm. we lose. There's no it's massive. Still funny, well, it well, it's great, but but you know, I think the idea that they hadn't thought it through, which is something that I'm hearing on. I had the misfortune to listen to Talk Sport this morning. Um, the idea that this has come as come some kind of shock to UEFA, that they might lose on limitation. No way. No way. Mm. Absolutely no way. They, they will have had smart people around the table saying, you know, there's a good chance we're going to lose on limitation. Hmm. Uh, the other thing coming out of it, FFP is dead apparently. Hey, Sam, is this anything really to do with FFP? What city were... Does this, does this ruling, guilty or otherwise, no, innocent, make any fake difference news. to anything fake else? Fake news, mate. Huh? It's just fake news. It's mm. just fake news. It's just completely, and it, it's it is um, anybody who has a blue tick or a reputation at, who calls themselves a journalist or a football analyst or a writer who takes that position should immediately have their blue tick removed and their title as analyst or journalist removed because it's just not that's not where we are that's really not where we are and if you're saying things like that then you're basically just 
going the populist route of knowing that you will get lots of engagements and lots of clicks from rivals by taking that as the headline point from this entire farce. And it has been, you know, now that we've won, it really does feel like a farce because, yeah, I mean, we, uh, I'm going to gloat on Stefan's behalf, but like, if we can go back to 12 months ago and look at two blogs that Stefan wrote and a podcast that we did and basically go, wow, like more or less what we talked about, it's kind of come to fruition here. Well, we should, it should, it should never have happened in the first place. And the, the, the analysis of it during that interim period before we got to Cass should have been far more fucking robust than it was because ultimately we did the heavy lifting, not the independent, not the guardian, not the athletic, not any, not any media organization that is meant to hold itself up as a media organization. They did none of that shit. We did the heavy lifting. So no, I mean, to now turn around and be like, FFP is dead. It's like, no, your career is dead because you've been made to look an absolute fool. You got, I mean, it's a two, two things here. And I, I think there is an argument to say, uh, you could run the argument. I'm not saying it's a particularly good argument, but I think you could run the argument to say, actually, you're wrong about FFP and the CFCB being dead. If anything, what it does is reinforces the power of the organization. These are, these are allegations that go back many years where they'd already punished the club once, where they'd monitored them for many years and still were not scared to take them back through the ringer when new information came available. And in, in, in assessing that new information, they asked them numerous questions. They, they, City uh, failed to cooperate with perfectly reasonable questions. This is, their, this is, this is UEFA's case. Yeah? Uh, failed to respond to perfectly reasonable questions um, and therefore we went ahead with the full prosecution of the charges as if they were made out. Now it turns out that uh, when it went up again uh, to Cass, they disagreed with us on certain aspects, but they supported us in our evaluation of the new information and the process that we went through to try and get more information out of the club in respect of that information, and they gave us a £10 million fee. So rather than this being about the failure of FFP and, and UEFA's body, it actually supports the, the actions that it took as a regulator, that even in a scenario where, where City had settled previously, it still was not going to be bullied by the club and, and told that it couldn't investigate further. It did investigate further and it did get 10 million pounds out of them, 10 million euros. It's not, you know, I'm not saying it's a great argument, but it's not something that can't be run. And, um, and ultimately, that, that's the sort of politics that they're going to play now internally. Mm. Yeah. Hey, hey, sorry, you- is this not all just politics in there? I mean, that- uh, yeah, yeah of course. We're, all our, obviously, we're all ecstatic on Twitter all morning, but I, I know our owners have given us a, you know, the best footballs I've ever seen in my life. But I've, beyond that, I have no sentiment towards them, no sentiment to the individuals who might have messed up six years ago with our accounts or whatever. And if we were guilty, we should have got done for it and all that. You know, I just want to watch football and not, not see our great players go. But what Lankles with me, I think, I know football's dirty, I know everyone's at it, and it felt like does it feel like City were victimised here by some hacked emails or should there really be no sympathy anyway and you just it's politics and some some you win, some you lose? 
Look, I think that now that we've won, I think it would be really easy for me to get to say, well, you know, it's fine. They did mm. their best. We were in the right. But I don't think it's fine. I mean, I, I imagine maybe Stefan will disagree with me slightly. We should never have got here because even when those leaks dropped, even when lots of clubs put pressure on UEFA, UEFA should have said, we're not going to do this because we're going to be, we're going to, you know, it's just, it's it, ground, the, the, all of those hacked emails. They're from 2011 to 2014. We've dealt with that period already. Uh, it's just, there's nothing that we can deal with here. Let that be the end of it. The fact that there was so much noise in the British media, the fact that privately so many Premier League clubs were lobbying UEFA and the fact that the result of the noise and the lobbying was this whole farce that we've been through. How can anybody say it's not politically motivated? There's, you know, there's no... I mean, yeah, in a way, maybe UEFA will gain 10 million euros, right? And Stefan's right. On one level, they'll be able to say, look at how strong we are. Man City are owned by Abu Dhabi. And like Stefan said, they've got all this dough and all this power, and we still went after them again. But in the end, you lost, and you lost big time. And you lost big time because your whole thing was it looks like a house of cards that even you probably privately were legally advised to, you know, that there's a really good chance that you'll lose the case. So if you put all that together and it is true, well, then, yeah, of course, it's politically motivated because there's no other reason to do it. You're not doing it to, if you know there's a 90% chance you're going to lose, right? What you're doing it for, you're either doing it for PR or for politics, and whichever reason you did it for, it's not cool. Lloyd, how do you think the clubs should move on from this? Clubs know what the other clubs are up to. Uh, we know, I know Liverpool board does not get on with the City's board, and I've seen Bayern Munich might have issues with, City might have issues with them, and they'll, they'll know stuff about other clubs and what they're up to, you know, beyond hacking computer systems. If City have you know, had the ban lifted, should they just move on now and be the bigger guy, so to speak? Or do you think they're going to be aggressive and stew over this? Because they'll know this will be club-led and not just UEFA-led. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think we've always taken a quite a quite a kindly, kindly approach generally, which as fans has probably pissed us off a bit um, in the sense of, you know, not wanting to have fights publicly, um, and it's just the, you know, we've seen it written a about a lot, but it's the kind of Abu Dhabi way of doing business. Um, not trying to make too many enemies, but I think really that's probably changed actually um, in the last year. And I do think there's been a, there's been a change in the way that the clubs position themselves, particularly on this issue. Um, I mean, you've only got to look at Soriano's interview. Um, I don't know exactly when it was, but, you know, six or 12 months ago, um, you know, Caldean said what he said on the issue and, Obviously, there's that famous lawyer's comment, which is getting bandied about by everyone. But ultimately, I think, you know, just look at the photo this morning of Pep with the lads. You know, I think they are obviously, they're obviously buzzing and I think they're going to be is that aggressive. Real? That Pep photo. Yeah, I don't believe anything on the internet anymore, so. I'm I not saying it's not S real. I'm it's just... from SDRT's um, Instagram, so I think it probably is. Um, but no, just on the, I just wanted to, just chime in on something on the FFP points before of your question. I mean, again, we haven't seen the submissions that City have put forward, but what it, what's crazy and what the, a lot of journalists are failing to grapple is City haven't put forward arguments here about FFP being in contravention of EU competition law, those kind of wider arguments. It will have been about the specific 
sanctions and the specific arguments that were put forward in relation to the concealment of equity funding. And FFP is going to be completely redrawn probably anyway because of coronavirus. I think, you know, UEFA have almost confirmed that to an extent anyway. So it's just that, that, um, that line is just very lazy for um, journalists and other commentators to be peddling. It was always lazy. I mean, you know, it was never, it was just never going to be. It was, they were never going to challenge FFP at, at, at no. this stage or, or generally as part of this, this process, um, even if it had gone against them, in my view. Uh, and just one other point on um, just, just getting some balance in terms of what UEFA's view was of their own case. I mean, you have to remember that whilst we say that the media did a poor job in analysing the situation generally, the media do have a group of people that they go to and speak to. And, and the particular, and this is not just a football-related issue, but it's a more general-related issue. The, the new thing that a journalist does is they pick up the phone to a professor whoever, and that's professor of football finance, professor of, uh, you know, COVID or whatever professor they, they pick up the phone to. And they largely do it uh, because clearly there's credibility and a kudos to being a professor, and on top of that, they rarely have to pay and they get a view. And it's all very well saying that UEFA obviously got it wrong, but almost every journalist that spoke to every self-proclaimed expert on FFP said that City had um, a very low chance of succeeding, even in relation to the limitation point. Um, there is a blog from a, a barrister... Uh, who writes a blog called Football Law, I think it is, who described the limitation points as misjudged. So it's not, it, it, you can always, you know, we can look with hindsight and go, oh, it's so obvious that we're definitely going to lose on these points. I'm not sure it was. Stefan, do you not no, think it's, do you not think it's a bit, because I know this is a discussion we had, do you not think it's a bit surprising that maybe if we draw a line under the media, say, that there wasn't the kind of grappling with, the topics in things like international law journals, you know, things like the um, International Journal of Law and Sport, International Entertainment and Sports Law Journal. I know we both had a quick look and couldn't really find anything in that kind of element of the press as, you know, putting aside the Delaney's and the independents and, you know, guardians, etc. Well, I think there's two aspects to it. One, there was limited information available. So to piece it together actually was not that straightforward. I think the second point that, that and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I've always had a, a feeling that uh, football is uniquely uh, partisan. And even people who are uh, professionals, um, barristers, QCs, judges, uh, football has a really funny kind of power um, around objectivity. Um, and, I, and I say that, you know, I've got a guy who I'm, somebody who's quite well known that I know, uh, um, who uh, sits in the House of Lords and um, you would expect them to be super objective about a topic of this nature, former lawyer. Um, but he's a Liverpool fan. And uh, I sent him my article. Um, he read it and said, yeah, but of course City have cheated, so they should be punished. Uh, and I was just like, but you know that there's been a settlement. And, and you know, it, it's a funny thing, football and sport. It, it, can, it can alter people's objectivity, even where 
they, uh, they, even where it's in their sweet spot, their professional sweet spot. And, you know, that guy, for example, that football law blog that I'm talking about, mm. you know, I said, who do you support? When I, when I, because so, I wrote him a couple of emails about it. Who do you support? Well, he's, a, he's an Aston Villa fan. But, you know, it, it wasn't, oh, I'm not a football fan. I just wrote about it from an intellectual perspective. He's a, he's a football fan. He's got a bias. He's got an inherent bias. And it's very hard, I think, for people writing about football to completely get over that. Um, and I think it plays partly into why you see some of the things that you see from even, um, you know, even when people are talking about, you know, commercial disputes within the football, within the game of football, where it involves one of the, the opposition teams. That's absolutely. Hey, Sam, the media. Yeah. City were found guilty originally by UEFA and banned for two years. Was it acceptable to write how they did at the time? No. Or no. We're using hindsight now. I mean, you only have to look. Let's let's be honest. Let's just look at the way it's been reported, tweeted out by some journalists today. You can name them. I'm 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 easy. This well, podcast well, is going out. I think we have mentioned most of them already. But I mean, it's just obviously they're gutted. <laughs> is the point? They are gutted. Mm. What's your views on how this has been dealt with by the media and and how City fans have acted as a response? I, just, I mean, look, I, 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 a little bit, I agree. on the one hand, I completely agree with Stefan. I think that football is this kind of weird, unique place where grown-ass men leave their objectivity at the door and just turn into tribal idiots, normal Right. Children, um, they turn into children. Yeah. I think that's where totally. it comes from. Totally, and I on 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 many in a way, I forgive Stefan's friend in the House of Lords, right? Way more than I'm ever forgiving your Delaney's or your Johnny Lou's or all these clowns, because mm. ultimately, right, your man in the House of Lords has got no real like his job is not football, right? His job is something completely different. So when it comes to football, he can be a tribal, whatever he wants to be. It's no problem. He can forget about all his law experience and he can just focus on, see, cheated, I don't like them, get rid of them. Um, people who are paid specifically to analyze and understand football should have taken a little bit more time in the immediate aftermath of this announcement that there was a two-year ban to think about everything that led up to the ban, what the ban could potentially be based on, and therefore what the potential outcomes at CAS could be. And again, you know, of course, we don't know what the arguments were going to be that were, that were going to be run. Of course, you know, like Stefan says, there were so many legal experts who seemed so certain that City were going to lose. But I can't help but feel that in most of those instances, they will have gone to people, they, I'm talking about the football journalists, when they went to these so-called experts, they will have gone to people who already had a, a pre-written narrative 
because they're not football journalists. They're supporters, right? They just happen to be like like academics, like whatever. They're academics in whatever field they're academics in, yeah? And on the other side, they support a football team. And then your man comes from the independent and he picks up the phone and he goes, hey, what do you think about this Man City thing, right? And they, you know, the chimp in them comes out and they go, oh, shit, you're going to lose. They're cheaters. And then everybody just runs with that. But I just, it's, it bothers me that, you know, like, again, Miguel Delaney from the independent saying Stefan's piece was, what did he say it was, Stefan? Impenetrable and what? What was the other word? Irrelevant, I think. Irrelevant, right? So on the one hand, you've got Miguel Delaney from the Independent saying that it's impenetrable and irrelevant. And then this morning, you've got Raphael Honigstein retweeting it going, again, I, I don't remember the exact words. If anybody's got it there, you can read the tweet out. But basically, he's going, this is a great piece on understanding what has happened at CAS. So for me... If I was the boss of Miguel Delaney, right, I'd be calling him into my office and going, mate, you need to work harder and work better because you've just been made to look a fucking moron. Like, <laughs> you, you you took a point of view that makes you look like a child now because one of our massive rivals, right, has just held up that same thing that you called impenetrable and irrelevant and gone, this is the thing, one of the best things I've read to understand what's just happened. And just putting aside the personalities involved, the fact that we can have such wildly um, uh, uh, far apart opinions on something like Stefan's piece shows there's an issue inside the reporting for me because football isn't, or at least it shouldn't be like Fox News. It shouldn't be divided in the way that American politics is divided or American meet the American media, TV media is divided. But that's basically where we've ended up. We've ended up in a, in a place where, you know, people can, journalists with blue ticks can tweet today, rest in peace, FFP. And everybody just stands around and applauds and goes, yeah, 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 that's the end of FFP, which a little bit like the two-year ban last year, it's just complete nonsense. Like, it's just, it's populist bollocks, and I'm tired of it. Chloe, to your thoughts on the coverage? I think Aysan summed it up pretty yeah, well there. He did. Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the only thing that I would add is, I think, um, you know, Stefan's right in that the information that's publicly available in terms of, you know, the previous arms of the process, because um, at the AC, you know, we've literally seen almost nothing. And obviously we had the initial CAS hearing in February. There is, there is little in, in the, in the public sphere, but I, th I still don't think it's excusable though for, for journalists who are paid to kind of look into these things. And, you know, particularly journalists that work for, the more longer read um, kind of websites. You know, this morning I've seen Ben Rumsby, who's a football investigations uh, journalist. I, this is literally his bread and butter. And, you know, I, I'd have liked to have thought that someone like that, and, you know, this is the thing, the job that Stefan's done in kind of piecing things together and giving his cautious kind of summary of, of the positions on the website, it's not an easy thing to do. And I appreciate that, but I, I do think it's, in my opinion, it's piss poor that no one's really actually even tried to kind of grapple with it. And, um, 
in in a way, it's it's been like you say, oh, they've gone and spoken to an expert in sports law or whatever, and just not themselves actually really sat down and kind of looked at everything and tried tried to be objective and not take a prejudiced view. I might be wrong, but that's kind of how I feel. Well, one thing I think is very hard for anybody to to argue with is why, when there are credible arguments around. Um, or credible questions, even that were raised by City. So if you look at Cas One, that that judgment, which gives quite a detail, you know, quite an amount of detail, it raises certain questions about where City are going to position their case around limitation. Now, I did not see one article that grappled with two key questions: How does UEFA get around the fact that there was a settlement in relation to these matters, and how does it get around the limitation points that City raised within Cas One? Those points were not speculation in terms of how City were going to position their case. That's there. It's set out in CAS 1. It, it, so for me, an easy piece for somebody, and, and to be honest, I, I asked lots of journalists how no, nobody picked up the point, but I asked lots of people how, how they think or how they see what, what their sources say as to how City will get round. And Lloyd and I had this conversation as well about some of the other kind of Twitter football commentators who we know are lawyers. How do they think UEFA are going to get round the limitation point? Or how do they think UEFA are going to get round the settlement agreement point? Those are easy questions that they could have put to a whole variety of people out in the space. Now, maybe maybe those, those, those uh, hired voices didn't have a view, wouldn't have given an opinion. But... I don't remember seeing any of those questions asked. And that's pretty basic because yeah. it's there in Cast 1 that City's case was around these points. So we knew that it was going to build on those points. Um, so I don't think there's much of a defence around that. I mean, there's a piece, I've not, I've not read it properly, but there's a piece from uh, Henry Winter, which is just on point on this conversation, which is, you know, how could, how could you ever be so stupid? It's also... It's also obvious, and but I don't know. You know, we'll there'll be lots of there'll be lots of analysis now that will say UEFA have got to move quicker and ignore the fact that actually they'd already investigated this stuff. You know, at the time, that's why there was the first settlement. Hey, Sam, as a fan, do you care how? would perceive now or are you just happy to get off because you only have to look at the Football 365 mailbox which is probably not the best place to go to see how this is perceived as of course money talks uh, do you care as a fan at all about this? No, I think that we're long past the point where perception matters We're not going to change it either you know it's gone now You know that, the, the, the sort of window to for the club to be looked at without any of this noise it, 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 it went a long time ago. It's not even worth worrying about now. But, you know, there's there's very little tangible that that they can now do, uh, aside from, you know, opening up another investigation about 2012 to 2016. Um, but there's very little tangible that they can do to, to stop the progress of the club. I mean, this is a disaster for those people that wanted to slow City down because now... Um, to sound like a Delaney for for a moment, City are very very well placed in a post COVID world where football is on its knees. City have uh, the the access not just to Abu Dhabi equity financing but also to 
one of the largest venture capital firms in the world and one of um, yeah and and China, <laughs> period. Um, so you know, as a collection of of investors, City now sit very neatly um, at the top table um, at a time when most of the football world is in distress. So, uh, you know, really what we need to be now focusing on as a club, hopefully, is, is a big, a big statement summer where we start to buy some properly uh, top tier um, players in some of our trouble positions. I'd agree with that. An aggressive summer transfer market. Uh, Absolutely, clutch. yeah. I think, yeah, hundred um, percent. It's really, to be honest, it's really freed up the club. I think because it it solves your potential issues around Sterling, around De Bruyne, um, around any of the big players. You know, Laporte, Edison, any of them could have. If we got the two year ban, they could have easily or position for a move. So that that points out. Um, £10 million fine, you know, yes, it, I, I take what Stefan said at the beginning of the pod, but really that shouldn't affect our business, you know, this summer at all. Um, and yeah, we've got the possibility to, to offer basically what we had pre all of this, which is, you know, and Pep Guardiola is our coach. We're going to be in the Champions League financially, like Stefan said, with the Silver Lake investment and the 10% structuring to China, you know, we're, in an excellent position, um, so yeah, I would imagine it's going to be it's going to be very aggressive, um, and it's going to it's going to definitely help in terms of you know if you want to sign a Kula Bali, um, I think there's a, probably a good chance he might have come anyway, um, even if we were banned. But now, you know, I think City moved to the front of any queue probably um, in terms of any potential suitors for him, and that's that's just an example. Um, so yeah, I think we're in a, a very very good position now. Hey, Sam, do you agree? I think there'd be a gloves-off approach from City now. And is this the end, yeah. of, end of investigations into City? The Premier League are not really interested in anything, I would assume, so unless this have done against I us, think, obviously. I, I think that City's approach in the transfer market has been pretty consistent, um, and I can't imagine it will change massively. So I'd love for us to be in a position where we decide to not just sign Koulibaly, but actually sign three players or four players at that level. But I think that's unlikely. I think that, you know, right now I'm just, what I'm hoping for is that they approach centre-back and centre-forward in exactly the same manner. And that is that, you have to go and buy two players who are ready to go. So Koulibaly, you just put him in the centre of your defence and you go, right, let's go. And I think that we are going to have to do a similar thing at number nine. And I think it's no coincidence that we have started to see stories in the last two or three days of City wanting to give Aguero another 12 months on his deal. Um, because I'm not sure how many number nines are out there and I'm not sure how gettable they are. But no, just in general, I don't see this as some kind of moment where suddenly Mansoor is firing, you know, when we're suddenly we're buying three, four, 70, 80 million pound players. I'd be really surprised if that happened. I could be wrong. I mean, you know, it might well be that they do. Think about the summer of 2017, though, who we signed then. You know, they, they might not all have been um, 70, 80, 90 million pound players, but 
you know, we had a we had serious issues that needed dealing with then in signing Walker and Mendy and you know Bernardo etc. And we went and went and moved it then. So I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility. Oh, yeah. I think we can. I think we can definitely move the needle inside the squad. Like I do think that you know you can go out and buy two players, three players, and you know two of them can be release clause players, and they can have real value to the squad itself. But I think that within the context of this conversation, I think really what we're talking about, when we're talking about the gloves coming off, is we're talking about City actually being at the top table for the top players in the positions in which they need players and for City to be aggressive. So that means that you put in the bin the idea that we're not going to compete on contract we're not you see what I mean that there's there's that whole like you know we only sign we only want to sign players who only want to sign for us well you know a lot of footballers they don't care who they play for they want the best contract they can get and they're entitled to that and if you want the best team that you can get then maybe you've not got maybe in certain situations you've got to look at players like that um so I guess that's that's all I mean that I've always felt that we've been pretty nicey-nicey in the transfer market and you know you any of you can dispute this but for me can't see that massively changing and that's yeah, not I mean, to say i'm not confident that we can get players that will make a difference but i'm not sure that will the approach will change well, no, I, was just I, I, I was just wondering if whilst this was hanging over us we were holding back in the t- to not be seen as a you know overspending or too showy or you know i don't know it dented the reputation so much that we that's why we didn't get a, a defender or why we didn't plug gaps because I don't know. Does that sound I like think, a ridiculous I think we theory? have done that. No, I think we have. I think that has been. I think it's played. It played at the time of the last uh, period where we were under investigation, and I think it has played uh, now. And, and by the way, I mean in terms of what I said earlier, in terms of going for it and about our relative position to the rest of the football industry, mm. uh, I'm not saying I disagree with with Asan. Unfortunately, I think Asan is probably right in that we won't do this. But what? I, but but I, I think. I think we should do it. Not not that we will, but that we should. And we should... I think you're already seeing signs that Chelsea are taking the opportunity that this market presents uh, by, you know, yeah. getting getting players signed that ordinarily there would be more competition for. I mean, Germany is a perfect example. We know that Bayern are probably now out of the market for further signings, even though there are a couple of players they want to buy. Next season, they'll be back in that market. We should take the opportunity now to take those players out of the equation. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think we've covered everything. Is there anything anyone else wants to discuss? No, I'm just going to say that I, I, I'm going to spend the afternoon celebrating. I think every <laughs> other blue should have some level of celebration. However, you can do it you should definitely definitely those things where social media can be horrible and twitter can be horrible and Mm. actually a place that you really don't want to go on but then you have days like today where really it's fun to refresh twitter and look at what people are saying um and yeah i just i encourage everybody to uh, to enjoy that indeed well We'll, f- we'll know further details about this ruling in a few days, I imagine, at the end of the week. So no doubt we'll revisit it when we've got the full disclosure of what's yeah, happening. Yeah, definitely. 
because there is more to come. Uh, we can only go off what we know so far. Uh, so we've had to put a bit of speculation in there, but I hope it's helped. And obviously, Stefan, brilliant as always, with reading between the lines and you know making some legal wranglings uh, a lot more clear to us laymen. So, uh, Stefan, thanks very much for yeah, coming on. Yeah, hang on. Cheers. Hang on, Howard. Can I just say, uh, Stefan, genuinely thank you very much because yeah. the, the podcast that you've done and the blogs that you've done cut through a lot of fog and smoke and nonsense and gave a lot of people uh me included uh, a much clearer much better understanding of what the points could be and that actually helps to calm helped to calm a lot of nerves and now that basically a lot of what you said has turned out to be absolutely accurate and it's really gone our way genuinely thank you we owe you from the 9320 podcast we definitely do cheers boss yeah Feel free to write something next week as well if you want. <laughs> you can crash the website all over again. Well, I'll we'll definitely do, do, we'll, do a, we'll we'll do a, a part three. Yeah. There'll be a part three on the judgment. I mean, you know, uh, in terms of a written uh, a written piece, because that that is a document that's going to need decoding. Because I don't, it, it won't be that straightforward, and there'll probably be some surprises in there, and probably also some stuff that we don't like the look of. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give yeah. you five days. That's enough, surely, so... You're I'll, right send you, I'll send you the invoice <laughs> no problem no send it to a son uh, thank, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming on Stefan anyway uh, a son Lloyd thanks for coming on as well cheers pleasure this could have been the worst podcast of the year but thankfully it was one of the better ones <laughs> it's, it is actually funny that because uh, a son had touted doing this uh, Friday yeah. um, kind of what what could it be like if we lose? And I actually encouraged him not to do it, largely because encouraged me. You put your foot down, literally. Yeah, because, you sent me a text going, but, "That's but, a terrible idea." The reason was because I I think people generally have underestimated just how bad losing would have been, and it's not even about things that people can necessarily foresee. Sat here. You know, things have a habit where, especially given the media frenzy that, that would have followed, they have a habit of getting out of control. And, um, you know, it could have gone in, it could have started to take some pretty nasty uh, turns from a regulatory, not not even sport related, but but finance related um, and, and worse. And, and um, I think it would have set the club back mm. a number of years. Mm, definitely. Well, the fact is, if, you know, Obviously, rival fans won't even accept a cast ruling now. They've now decided they're corrupt. You only have to... It doesn't take much a leap of the imagination to understand how tarnished the reputation of the club would have been if we if the ban had been upheld and if then the Premier League had started digging. And then... I'm not saying this would have happened. I'm very dubious as to whether the Premier League cared in the slightest, to be honest, to have got involved in stuff like this. But it could have gone that way. And we can say it now because we know it ain't going to. It could have gone, apart from the players leaving and the money, the financial side, would have seriously hindered our, you know, our aims in the transfer market. We would always have been seen, you know, that that damn asterisk next to, th- you know, th- things we won seven, eight years ago, you know, that you think is in the distant past, would now be brought back up and called tainted. So now, of course, you might not I mean, care that, about that, that, but it would have been yeah. huge and it would have been relentless. So. Look, on Radio 5, I, 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 
I thought the Simon Stone piece this morning in the in the news hour or the seven o'clock hour, whatever it was, was terrible. But one thing that he did say was tainted. And we would have had that problem. It would have been very painful just to listen to the, this constant uh, undermining of everything that's happened over the last 10 years. Especially as it, what, what we're accused of really made very little difference to anything. And that's what really would have you know been a bugbear. It, it's not as if what we did made us win all those trophies, but that's how it would have been perceived for all time, in a way, by a lot of people. So, mm. But... Yeah, we can say that now because we didn't get banned. We uh, won! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on away goals, kind of. Uh, thanks everyone for coming on. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, as I say, we will probably come back and revisit this when we know the full disclosure. Uh, we've got, obviously, lots of fo- actual football as well coming this week. League game, FA Cup semi-final, lots more, and the Champions League. So loads more shows coming. Uh, do listen We'll look out for them. Uh, thanks for listening. Take care as always. And as always, a Up the blues!